Have you ever felt like God is holding back on you? I mean, there's something you've prayed about. You've asked God for it. There doesn't seem to be any reason why he shouldn't grant that request, and yet the answers still seem to be no. And so I guess my question is, in your mind, do you think of God as stingy, or do you think he's generous? you feel like you have to convince and persuade and beg and plead? Because his default answer is going to be no. On this Discover the Word podcast, Bill Crowder is going to be leading some conversations with Elisa Morgan and Marty Hahn and Daniel Ryan Day called The Abundant God. We're going to explore some things in the scriptures that tell us about what God is like that just may flip our impression of him from stingy to generous, from holding back to being lavishly abundant. The Abundant God is our study on this Discover the Word podcast. And it is great to have you here on the front end of another series of conversations on Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. In this episode, Bill and Elisa and Mart and Daniel are going to explore some passages of Scripture together that will help us to see how God's provision for us is an abundant reflection of His generous nature. As I mentioned, the study is called The Abundant God. And in some ways, I think we have some work to do to overcome that impression that sometimes God is being stingy and not abundant. And so we'll start with a description that we find of God in the Old Testament book of Exodus, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Now, in some of our recent podcasts, we've gone to that description that God gave of himself to Israel several times. It's a really important passage that helps us understand so much of the Bible. And we're going to zero in on the abundant part of that description over the next hour. What is it about God that is abundant? Well, let's jump into this with the group. What are some things that you like lots and lots of? Lots and lots of. Lots and lots of. (laughs) Kisses and hugs from my grandkids. (laughs) And my puppy. And my doggy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to go with the real spiritual answer. uh, Jelly beans. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, The ones with all the different flavors. Do you eat the licorice ones? I do eat the licorice ones. Yeah. The only ones I like are the orange ones. You can have Mm -hmm. all the rest of them, Dan. Man, it's been a long time since I've liked jelly beans. (laughs) (laughs) They're not good for our old teeth, I'm all about jelly Chips and salsa now. (laughs) In abundance? Do you like it? Oh, okay. It's hard to stop. Yeah. I remember when I was a pastor, (laughs) one Sunday during the course of the message, I kind of went off script and I just, for some reason, made a comment and I just said, to me, the most perfect food item ever created is the Reese's peanut butter cup. (laughs) And the next Sunday when people showed up at church, they had piles of Reese's cups on my desk. Oh gosh. I mean bags and bags of Reese's cups. And that was an abundance I really enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying about the, enough to make you sick. Yeah. 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 And yeah. you know, there's there's that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes too much of a good thing is just too much. Mm-hmm. You know what? Too much of just about anything yeah. can is become too obnoxious. Much. Yes. Yeah. 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 When you think about it. <laughs> so what are some things that too much of is not good. Oh, the flu. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Is there anything worse? Or any sickness. Yeah. Any sickness. Yeah. 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 Rain. Too much rain and, leads yeah. to flooding and rivers yeah. overflowing and lots of problems throughout the world. Yeah. I'm going to stick with my same one. I think too much of just about anything <laughs> is too much. <laughs> okay. yeah. All right. And I think of car troubles. 
in a time in our lives when Marlene and I were in a series of older used cars, what we came to realize is that old cars are like old houses. They're never fixed. Mm-hmm. They're always being fixed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just seems like you're going from one car problem to another. Yeah. This yeah. time it's a punctured tire. Next time it's a fan belt. The next time it's the AC doesn't work. The next time the automatic power window is stuck down inside the door. <laughs> you know, yeah. And there's always an oil leak. Always, <laughs> always. So abundance is good or bad. Yeah. It can be good or bad. And I think, Mark, essentially, I think there's a lot of evidence that too much of anything can be unhealthy for us, which is one of the reasons why I think the scriptures call us to a life of moderation, mm-hmm. balance, mm-hmm. to live in the balance mm-hmm. of things. Some time ago, we had a series of conversations in what I think we came to agree is one of the most critical texts in the Old Testament for understanding the heart of God. Yeah, It's Exodus 34, hmm. verses 6 and 7. And I want us to spend this series of conversations camping on one idea God presents about himself. Now, just the fact that this is how God is introducing himself to Israel is really important. Yeah, hmm. That's a really important idea because... He could have described himself any number of ways, Mm -hmm. but he chose these ways. And before we listen to them, what's the context, the historical moment in which all this is happening? And the irony is, actually in the scriptures, God describing himself and not someone else describing God, those are actually rare moments in some ways. And so pay extra attention. Yeah, the context is the people have been rescued from Egypt, Mm -hmm. and they're out in the wilderness, and God is presented to them what it looks like to be the best version of human up to that point. He's given them this instruction. And Moses was up on the mountain so long getting this instruction from God that when he comes back down, he finds out that they've created an idol and they're worshiping that Mm -hmm. idol. And as a result, he actually breaks the tablets that the commandments were written on and then goes back up on the mountain Mm -hmm. and God reveals himself Mm -hmm. in the way that we're getting ready to read. Mm And I think it's really important to note that before the stone tablets, God had given those commandments orally to the people. And at one point in Exodus, the people said, all that the Lord has commanded, we will do. So Mm -hmm. it's not just that God said, you're going to do this. I said, I don't care what he says. I'm going to do it. No, they actually said, Mm -hmm. we're in. Yeah, Yeah, about 14 chapters earlier in the book. And they had been rescued from a culture and a history of false gods in Egypt, right? Yeah. Yeah. And in the ancient world, false gods wasn't like you go to the wrong church. (laughs) There were expectations and requirements in the worship of the false gods that tended to be very self-destructive. I mean, you think about temple prostitution, you think about self-mutilation. Child sacrifice. Yeah. There are a lot of things that were a part of the worship of these gods that were just not healthy. So God's rescuing people, not just from slavery, in a land, but also from slavery yeah. to false gods. Yeah, because they've been there 400 years. They've taken on board yeah. a lot of the culture and customs of the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. And they've, in a sense, forgotten the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their mm-hmm. forefathers. And it's in the context of this idolatry against the backdrop of God rescuing them from idolatry and the self-destruction of it that God describes himself with these words. And mm-hmm. Elisa, would you read them for us? Sure, sure. Okay, this is Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. 
Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Now, in some previous conversations, we really locked in on this text and and spent the whole time with it, the whole week of conversations with it. And we had one whole conversation on that last statement about generational judgment, Mm -hmm. which feels so wrong. Yeah. (laughs) I mean— for the great-grandchildren to be punished for what great-grandpa did seems not only wrong, it seems out of character for God. Yeah, we talked about it being a consequence thing rather yeah. than a personal, yeah. Yeah, we had a whole conversation on that where it's not so much because great-grandpa did this, God's going to do this to you, Daniel. Mm-hmm. No, it's more like there's generational consequences yeah. that continue to unspool for years and years in families yeah. and mm-hmm. and not just generational consequences we also saw that that example can be relived and reinstituted and refollowed and keep bringing up yeah. those same pains and struggles again yeah and we emphasize that even though that does happen that that happens to the third and fourth generation but this abundant love that God's describing goes to the thousandth generation. So even that exceeds oh, and yeah. goes yeah. over these even yeah. the mm-hmm. consequences. So for our purposes this week, I don't want us to get too much in the weeds on that, even though it is such an important conversation mm-hmm. that we've had on that. But here we clearly see God being abundant mm-hmm. and describing himself to us as abundant and abundant in two things. What are those two things? Loving kindness and truth. Yeah. And the word can be translated either truth or faithfulness with the idea being that what's true is what can be trusted. It can be reliable. It can be depended upon. And that's what faithfulness is, something that's reliable and can be depended upon. So that's where the parallel is. But the thing we tend to focus on is the loving kindness part, Mm. because it's a Hebrew word that is throughout the entire Old Testament to show God's love in such a way that it really separates it from any human expression of love because it's so much mm-hmm. higher and greater. What's that word? Chesed. Yeah. It's one of those words in Hebrew that you have to clear your throat when you say it in order for it to sound right. <laughs> how, how do you spell that in English? In, like in, yeah, in like H-E-S-E-D would okay. be the transliteration. Yeah. Right. So you have this chesed, love, which... Here it's translated loving kindness, but most of the time it takes an abundance of words to really Mm -hmm. describe it. Michael Card wrote a book on the word chesed, and he entitled it Inexpressible. Hmm. And then he spent the next couple hundred pages explaining (laughs) why that word is so hard to to capture in human language. I think it it says two things. One, it says something about the grandeur of Mm -hmm. God's great love, but it also says something about the limitations of human language. In in a similar way, you know, the word for love in the New Testament is like four or five different words. So maybe we just miss that that in the Hebrew language. It's also difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think really what this whole section in Exodus is describing is that chesed. So compassion, 
grace, the slow to anger, okay. the faithfulness, all of that is helping expand on this one idea of chesed and what it means and I looks like. I think it's like. really good. Which might be in great contrast to our personal impressions of God, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, what people have experienced. Or particularly in a certain moment yeah. mm-hmm. when something really bad happens and we say, why did God do that to me? Or why did God let that happen to me? Or something of that nature. We don't really think first and foremost of God's faithful, abiding, trustworthy, dependable love. And yet by pairing the idea of his chesed with his faithfulness, that's exactly the idea God wants us to get about him. And not just that he has faithful love, but it's abundant. Mm -hmm. It's overflowing. It's like a tsunami of abundant love. We haven't exhausted it. No, and it can't be exhausted. And how much of our broken love that we show to one another often that brokenness comes out of unfaithfulness to one another. Yeah. And here is God's love rooted in the fact that he is faithful. I think as we think about this God of abundance who revealed himself that way to Moses and to the people of Israel, this God of abundance is what we want to focus on in these conversations. And now that we've kind of got this idea from how he describes himself, Let's dive into the New Testament in the coming conversations and look at some particular places where we are told that God lavishes this abundant love on us in very specific ways and see what those ways are. Okay, this might sound like an unfair question. You don't have to be too overly transparent if you're not comfortable with it. Are you a generous person? Isn't that like asking if somebody's a humble person? (laughs) (laughs) I don't like that, yeah. You know, I look over the most of my life, and I say most of my life I've not been. And I wish I could say I was now. But Mm. at at this point, I long for it. But I sure couldn't characterize my my life that way. That's so honest. But, you know, I think maybe generosity is better seen by others, you know, in us. I would say I try to be until I don't want to share something. (laughs) And that's when I'll notice, wow, what is that about, Elisa? You know, if somebody, for instance, needs to come into our home, I'm happy if I've invited them. But, you know, if they get sick and they have to stay over or something, I'm like, "Mm, Mm, mm, mm," you know, grumble. (laughs) So it's like conditional, I think, for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably honest. I think that's true. Yeah. I think back when I was a kid growing up in a house of seven kids, it was always about the last brownie. (laughs) <laughs> or the last ice cream sandwich. Yeah, slice yeah. of and, pizza. Uh, yeah. Last slice of pizza. Yeah. All those kinds of last things. Yeah. There's not an unlimited supply. Mm-hmm. So do I really want my brother David to have that last brownie? Mm-hmm. No, I want that last brownie. <laughs> and I think the way you described it, Mart, in a sense, is really helpful because I think for most of us, we would aspire to be generous people, but we don't always get there, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's in that context that it's good to be reminded that in Acts chapter 20, we're told that the Lord himself said, it's better to give than to receive, uh, which is one of those really interesting examples of what they call agrafa, ah meaning without, grafa writing. That's one of the things that Jesus said that's not written in the gospels, but it's quoted by Paul in Acts chapter 20. So I think that's really kind of cool all by itself. <laughs> but the statement itself is not one that's easy to live up to, is yeah. it? Yeah, 
Maybe that's why nobody wrote it down, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Let's just kind of forget. He didn't really say that. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Well, I think it's confusing just to camp on it just for a second because it's better to give than receive. That sounds so selfless. But who hasn't learned now that then we're kind of one up? You know, I should be giving. I should be giving. Yeah. I should be giving. And so now we're not very good at receiving. Yeah, that's and so right. It makes the whole thing a mess. Exactly. Right. Oh yeah. And it has. And it, the issue of power comes yeah. into the giving and receiving. Yeah. And you're like without power if you receive, and you're with power if you give. So we yeah. put a lot of emotional collateral on yeah, this I whole concept. I think Howard Hendricks said Christmas isn't about giving; it's about swapping. <laughs> and if what you give me doesn't measure up to what I give you, don't worry, we'll even it out next year. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We're all accountants mm. at mm-hmm. heart. Mm-hmm. We're all keeping balance sheets and ledgers on things, which is what makes it so amazing that First Corinthians 13 says, real love does not keep a yes. record of wrongs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real love doesn't keep score. Yeah. yeah, And true generosity often, when we see it in others, is... They just hold things so loosely. Yes. Right? And sometimes it's a belief or a perspective that they hold loosely, right? It's not always possessions. And they're generous in uh, orthodoxy is a term that's been thrown around before. Mm -hmm. Generous in their political standpoint. And what they mean is maybe they have some ideas of what they hold Mm -hmm. to, but even the way they hold it is so loosely because they're more concerned about the relational aspect. Mm -hmm. That's really helpful. Which also shows up in another sense, among the poor. I think some of the the generosity that throws me back is by when I see poor people just yeah. so open mm. to give. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think about when we were pastoring in Southern California and we were going to get kicked out of our building if we didn't get some remodeling done to bring the building to code for public assembly. And this older woman in our church donated like $400 to this building project. And I wouldn't have believed that she would have had more than the widow's mites, you know, <laughs> not two pennies to rub together. And we came to find out that she had spent years saving this money to buy a stove because oh, she didn't have a stove to cook on. She was cooking on a hot plate, hmm. meals for her family. Hmm. And we went to her and said, listen, this is too much. You can't do this. And she said, you can't stop me from doing Mm. this because this is important and this is important to me and my family. Mm. And it's one of those really kind of over the top Mm -hmm. expression of what she valued based on what she gave. Mm -hmm. So did y'all buy her a stove? Yeah. Good. A couple of of guys in the church got together and, and and got her a stove. There you go. go. And I got to go over and have a meal, which was (laughs) really good. (laughs) And the last brownie. Yeah. Yeah. I want us to look at the early church for a few minutes in Acts chapter 4. And what's going on in Acts chapter 4 is Peter and John have been arrested and then released. And after they're released, it leads to a time of prayer within the church for God to continue to help them and strengthen them. And then Luke gives what I kind of refer to as a snapshot of what the life of the church in Jerusalem looked like at this time in Acts 4, verse 32. Daniel, could you read that for us? Sure. Talk about holding things loosely. Mm. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. Now, 
That is a very controversial verse. Mm -hmm. But again, what we're seeing here is this blessing that comes from giving and the supply that's enough for everyone because each person contributes what they have and everyone is able to be provided for as a result. The next verse is the one that I want us to camp on. Elisa, would you get us Acts 4, verse 33? You bet. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. Abundant grace. Now, we're talking about our abundant God, and he's a God who offers us abundant grace. So before we can talk about what abundant grace looks like, what's grace? Undeserved merit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, undeserved favor or blessing or gift, receiving what we don't deserve just because God's gracious, um, something that cannot be earned. And God offers that to us. How much? Abundantly. Abundantly, which really, I think, strikes almost a death blow to American Christianity. Because here in the States, we're all about being the trailblazer, pull your bootstraps up, get out there, do it yourself, make yourself into something. And what abundant grace says is, no, God is the one who provides for us because we can't earn it, mm-hmm. not because of all that we've done to deserve it. That abundant grace is a huge idea in the New Testament and one that we see most clearly pictured in Jesus. But is it easy to come over to us today from this text when their situation was very different I don't think anybody here would recommend that everyone give up ownership of all property in our day. And I don't think the communal life of the Jerusalem church, I think that pictures a spirit of generosity. In a moment in time, too, In a moment in time, yes. But it pictures more the spirit of generosity than the tactical, strategic, I'm going to sell everything I have and give it away. And in that context the grace was not a result of them giving things away, right? Because then that would be earning the grace. If grace Mm -hmm. is unmerited, then it's almost just a statement about what's happening in general, that God is pouring out this grace on the people. And it happens to be be generous. Yeah. It happens to be showing up in very particular ways, like generosity, like the confidence that they had to proclaim the good news about Jesus Mm -hmm. and all that. All of those were signs of God's grace on them. But the true nugget, I think that you're pushing us toward is, yeah, but there was this abundant favor, this grace that was on them from God, not because they were doing those things, but because God had gifted. And it resulted in a kind of freedom of generosity. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think all of us know that when we've been in seasons of life, when we feel like we're just overwhelmingly blessed, that there's this almost instinctive desire to share that Mm -hmm. with others, and especially with those that we love. And I think that's really the idea of abundant grace, is a grace that God pours out upon us. How does it pour out of us to others? Mm-hmm. is the question. You know, the other place I see that, Bill, is sometimes when you have experiences, that changes how you view other people in similar experiences. And I'm thinking of my mom, mm-hmm. who whenever we were at a restaurant, she was a server, a waitress for a long time. So she never under-tipped, mm-hmm. right? She was always going to at least tip what you yeah. should tip. And yeah. if nothing else, 
go more because she knew how hard those circumstances right. were. And so there right. was that grace there yeah. from yeah. her because she knew their circumstances. That's, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And we know that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ because he came and lived life in humanity, in this world. Mm -hmm. He understands how much we need this kind of abundant mm -hmm. grace. And so he came to bring that grace to us mm -hmm. and make it available mm -hmm. to us. There's another verse mm -hmm. that I think is really interesting, and it speaks to this idea of God's abundant grace. It's 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. Listen to this. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Hmm. Now, yeah, there's abound and there's abundance in there, but there's also a cause and effect. God pours out abundant grace upon us so that we might be his vessels to see that grace spill out over onto others. You see how that works? That reminds me of Jesus talking. I think it's in John 7 about when we're in relationship with him. It's like springs of living water overflow mm -hmm. in our souls so that we have this ongoing mm -hmm. provision. So it reminds me of that. There's a splash effect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the idea of the spirit of generosity. Abundant grace experienced in the heart results in being what our friend Philip Yancey referred to as dispensers of mm -hmm. grace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a wonderful thing and it's a beautiful privilege. But unless we are recipients of God's grace, we don't have anything to offer, yeah. really. Mm -hmm. I mean, we might be able to offer out of our experience or our knowledge or out of our resources, but we don't really apart from the grace of God, impart to others what we have not received from him ourselves. Which is really a matter of the spirit, isn't yeah. it? Mm -hmm. You're listening to the Discover the Word podcast from Our Daily Bread Ministries with Mark DeHaan, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And this study is titled, The Abundant God. Like Bill said, we really don't have much of value to offer others apart from God. And we hope that this episode is proving to be a reminder that you have access to the unlimited resources of our abundant God. Now, my guess is that you're probably aware of the fact that Jesus promised those who follow him an abundant life. That Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And so what does that mean, an abundant life? How have you heard that explained? Well, next, the group's going to wade into this discussion about the abundant life that Jesus was talking about, the dangers of overpromising and the danger of underpromising. We'll explore that together after this quick word about another resource from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Now, before we get back to the group study called The Abundant God, I'd like to tell you about another resource from Our Daily Bread Ministries and Discover the Word. It's a video series called Psalm 23, The Holy Land, hosted by our good friend, Dr. Jack Beck. Now, Jack's been a guest here on Discover the Word before, and in fact, he's scheduled to be back with us later this summer. And as only Jack can do in this new video series, he takes you on site to the Judean wilderness. At first glance, this barren landscape looks like an impossible place for people and animals to survive. But watch as this series brings Psalm 23 to life. Discover more about God's abundance and why the psalmist said his cup was filled to overflowing when you watch Psalm 23 
It's part of season two of The Holy Land on YouTube. This week, you can follow the link to watch when you visit discovertheword.org or just search the Our Daily Bread YouTube channel for some great video productions like this one with Jack Beck. And now let's listen as the group talks about that statement Jesus made about coming to give life, abundant life. What is it that makes life worth living? And by that, I don't mean what makes life fun or pleasant or exciting. What is it that really makes life worth living? What gives meaning? Well, the one thing that comes to my mind is the quality of life versus the quantity of life. And we use these terms, you know, when Mm -hmm. people are diseased or when their minds are suffering or et cetera. And we talk about, do they have a good quality of life? And I think about that, being able to be present with those you love. But for those of us who become caregivers, you know, Mm. the quality is still having the person present at times. So I think it's a tough question to answer. Yeah. As a millennial, I go to questions of purpose and identity. So why am I doing Mm -hmm. what I'm doing and who am I and Mm -hmm. how that affects life? And I think ultimately those answers only are fulfilled in God and who he created us to be all the way back in Genesis mm-hmm. 1. I think that brings it back to, at least at your point too, it has to somehow relate to opportunities to to know love and to give it. Oh, mm-hmm. that's good. Without love, life is not worth living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's so much in the culture that we live in where things are presented to us through advertising, marketing, media, mm-hmm. social media, whatever, where if you just had this, yeah, your life would be so enriched. And I don't think that this is out there. <laughs> I don't think there's a, a thing yep. that is the key to having that kind of meaningful, purposeful mm-hmm. uh, life that really feels like I'm not just taking up space and breathing air that somebody else can yeah. have. There's a reason mm-hmm. why I'm here, and somehow I'm engaged in fulfilling that reason. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I think of the shirts, the good life, yeah. right? And it'll show like somebody in a hammock or somebody camping or somebody with a grill or something like that. Or a like golf that. club. Or a golf club, yeah. Or a cat. So it's that <laughs> same kind of idea, yeah. like this is what yeah. gives life goodness. And although we might enjoy it, yeah. Right? Or it mm-hmm. might make yeah. us happy. It's good for a vacation. It's good for yeah. a vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily actually get to that core question of yeah. what makes life worth living. Yeah. And those core questions are the ones that in the times of life when we're not experiencing that kind of fullness or purposefulness, those are the kinds of questions that keep us up at night. What's missing? What's wrong? And it's those kind of things that feed into what's sometimes referred to as a midlife crisis, Mm -hmm. where if I just buy a motorcycle or, you know, get a new wife or whatever, (laughs) I mean, you see this kind of midlife crisis where I would suggest this is what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. What they're looking for is the kind of life that feels like it's worth being here for this. All my friends call that the quarter life crisis. And it's for those that are 25 to 35. Asking the questions that most people ask at a midlife crisis, but at my age. Yeah. Is life sped up that much, huh? Mm, Maybe. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I want us to think about what makes life worth living and what makes life really everything it's intended to be. And we're talking this week about our abundant God who abounds in 
perfect love and great faithfulness, the God who offers to us abundant grace, abundant grace that we don't deserve. And now we come to maybe the most familiar statement of abundance in the scriptures. It's in John chapter 10, and it's verse 10. Mark, would you read that for us? Okay, verse 10 says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. For okay. it would be, I think, other translations, a life... Abundantly. Abundantly. Yeah. Life more abundantly, which I would translate as life worth living. Yeah. And it's interesting that Mart's translation uses the word purpose. Yeah. You know, the yeah. thief's purpose versus Jesus' purpose. That's exactly what we're talking purpose. about yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting because mine will say the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and yeah. have it abundantly. Yeah. The purpose is at the core. And I like the way it builds. I've come to give them life abundant life, right? It's qualifying. Mm. It's not just any kind of life, yeah. just some kind of existence. Yeah. No, there's an abundance here that and Jesus is And I think that's bringing. the distinction, Daniel, that you made that's so good. There's a difference between life worth living and just existing. Mm-hmm. And some of that speaks into the, mm-hmm. the very kind of gnarly very difficult uh, questions quality of, of quality of mm-hmm. life versus mm-hmm. quantity of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Those are very difficult questions that we can't wrestle to the ground here. But I do think that there is a real sense of there's a difference between living and existing. (laughs) And just what that difference is, Jesus says, is wrapped up in him and what only he can give. Mm -hmm. You know, the interesting thing, Bill, and I've done quite a bit of thinking about this, the very fact of existence begs for meaning. I mean, when you think about it, one of the greatest expressions of our creator of his generosity and love is to bring you and me and our friends and anybody else into existence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But at that moment, the very fact of existence Mm -hmm. begs for why Mm -hmm. and and for a sense of fulfillment. Yeah. And I think that's why in almost any philosophy 101 class, (laughs) you're going to wrestle with those base philosophical questions. Where did I come from? And then why am I here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we all want to feel like we're not just some kind of cosmic accident. Right. Yeah. We're here for a reason. Yeah. We're here to accomplish something, make a difference, to somehow live a life that matters yeah. in the final analysis. Our inclination is to live like an accident, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Think about how the story starts in the Bible, right? Very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Everything's been good up to this point. God makes man and woman in his image to represent him, to join him in this co-working in the world, that is very good. And that's who we are first and foremost. Sin corrupts that and messes it up, but first and foremost, God created us as very good. Mm. And And that's a beautiful thing. the heart of God by the very existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. In John chapter 10, the verse that you just read for us, Mart, it comes out of this lengthy illustration that Jesus gives of the shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And I think for us to talk about the fact that I have come that they might have life, I mean, really live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a cost attached to that. And the cost is the shepherd lays down his life to make that possible. And I think a lot of times we want the abundant life. We don't want to recognize or maybe honor the price tag that was attached to that, that Jesus paid on our behalf. But you talked about the thief. In Jesus' illustration, who might the thief be? 
I'm guessing the enemy, the, the evil one, okay. the lion that prowls around looking for someone to devour. The one who seeks to steal and kill and destroy, right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, he begins in the garden and we see him there as a snake, but, you know, it could be yeah. that he's talking about Satan. I heard once that the way they would corral sheep at night was in an area and the gate was where the shepherd lays down. Mm-hmm in front to protect the mm-hmm. sheep from someone coming in and trying mm-hmm. to steal a sheep. Is that, mm-hmm. yeah. is that the picture yeah. there? So that's like kind of that metaphor of Jesus laying down mm-hmm. or the good shepherd laying down to protect the mm-hmm. sheep. Some Bible scholars say that they think that the thief is actually speaking of the false shepherds of Israel, mm-hmm. that Jesus was speaking directly, contrasting himself to the religious leaders of Israel who he would, in Matthew 23, just scald with all these indictments. You burden the people's backs with all these heavy burdens, and you won't even lift a finger to help them. Mm-hmm. You know, all these just really, I think, harsh. And, and that really fits the, the context here, because it's talking about the hired hand. Mm-hmm. Somebody yeah. who's just, they're watching the sheep because they're paid to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, They don't care. Yeah. yeah. And I think we've all experienced or have friends who have experienced church situations in our generation where the pastor was almost more like a hired hand than a true shepherd. Mm -hmm. And those kinds of situations are just heartbreaking because of the people who are caught up in them and the destruction that can have on their families and their lives and their own spiritual well-being. When Jesus says, the thief comes to do these things, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, Mm -hmm. even more abundantly. Obviously, that means that this kind of purposeful life we've been talking about, Daniel, that you described from a millennial perspective, that all of us sense feeling like we need to have been here for a reason, not just showing up. All of this abundant life gets rooted in the one who gave himself for us. Mm -hmm. So how does his act on our behalf inform what abundant life looks like? It means that a quarter-life crisis, if it looks like me buying things and trying to find purpose and meaning by, you know, something I put on my body or clothes that I wear or whatever is definitely missing the point, (laughs) is what that means. Yeah, and I think I'm still stuck in some of our other conversations, too, that it it really does mean we begin to experience um, the abundance by receiving it, not by buying it for ourselves or creating Mm -hmm. it for ourselves, Mm -hmm. but by understanding our maker Mm -hmm. and what he says about us and receiving Mm -hmm. that. You know, Mm -hmm. that's that's where we begin. Yeah. And, you know, I've found that in some of my lowest moments, darkest times, the light only comes through the window when I recognize that I'm not alone, mm. God is with me. Mm-hmm. And when I begin to ask him for direction, mm-hmm. for help, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like, you know, the, mm-hmm. the sun starts to come up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're really onto something there, Mark, because if I think about this extended shepherd metaphor, I mean, ultimately what Jesus with his first hearers is appealing to is their history of shepherding and everything that they understand about that, including their understanding of God as their shepherd. And that goes back to Psalm 23. And where the light comes on in Psalm 23 Mm. is not just that God gives me green pastures or Mm -hmm. still waters. It's that in my darkest moments, he's with me. Mm -hmm. It's his presence. It's living in his presence 
and a real awareness of his presence that really gives fullness of meaning to life and the life that really is abundant. And this edition of the Discover the Word podcast, we're talking about our abundant God. And it's been encouraging to reflect on the abundant blessings that God has bestowed upon us. So much to be thankful for. But as we all know, our lives are not just abundant goodness. Life also has an abundance of difficult times as well. And you know what that means for you. And you know that we can get overwhelmed when it seems like the difficult things pile up one on top of another. And so what does our abundant God offer when it seems like our life consists mainly of an abundance of things that are broken and painful? Well, in this next part of the podcast, we'll discover what our abundant God does provide in life's difficult times. I'm not a big Shakespeare guy, believe it or not. Is that a confession? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, it's just a statement of fact. <laughs> I would have guessed otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of my favorite Shakespeare quotes he wrote in Hamlet, and it said, When sorrows come, they come not single spies, but in battalions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when sorrows come, they just come in wave after wave after wave. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that or not, but um, what was it like? I think there were, for me, there were seasons uh, when my children were teenagers that it felt like one thing after another hitting. Um, But right now I'm I'm in a battalion of uh, health crises in our family. Mm. And uh, it's just one thing after another. And It just comes, and you think, I don't know if I have enough to get through the wave, but I always love to think about what Vernon Grounds used to say. He said, just like, hold on to God and keep one nostril out of the water. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's humorous, but it's true, too. You know, it's Mm -hmm. true. Sometimes that's all you can do. And I would say, too, it's not just sorrows in those situations that come in battalions, but questions to answer mm. and decisions to be made pressures. and pressures to mm-hmm. experience and mm-hmm. all that. So it's almost like even that word sorrow, we tend to think of in very like crying or something like that ways, but those sorrows come in all the decisions we have to make mm-hmm. and questions to answer and all that too. Yeah. See. I think about this quote in the light of the story of Job, mm-hmm. you know, in Job chapter one, it's so telling that a messenger comes to say, this happened and all your camels are dead or stolen. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then there's this little phrase that repeats itself. And while he was still speaking, mm-hmm. then the next messenger <laughs> yeah. comes. And while he was still speaking, the next messenger. Yeah. And it just seems like wave after wave after wave yeah. just assaulting this man, uh, Job. And then chapter after chapter after chapter yes. trying to process it. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because sorrows bring life change on. Yeah. And, you know, like you're saying, decisions and stuff, but, you know, you have to change. You have to let go of something you used to do in a certain way, you know, and adjust to a new. Mm -hmm. So it is this domino thing, like Mm -hmm. more and more and more. Yeah. In our first conversation talking about abundance, I asked if there are things that are not good in abundance. And you said, Elisa. The flu. The flu. (laughs) (laughs) So want an abundance of flu, no. So we want to go to 2 Corinthians 1, verse 5, and we'll get the context in a second. But just for now, Daniel, why don't you read 2 Corinthians 1, verse 5 for us? Sure. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance... So also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Okay, so there you got the polar opposites of Mm -hmm. abundance, right? You have the Mm -hmm. sufferings in abundance and you have comfort 
mm-hmm. in abundance. I think most of us would prefer the comfort in abundance <laughs> yeah. as opposed to the sufferings yeah. in abundance. Now, this is really the introduction to Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And the whole purpose of the letter is he's trying to defend his role in the church as an apostle of Christ and as a messenger of the gospel. And it's being questioned in Corinth. And one of the reasons they're questioning it is because he's suffering. Hmm. And what he's telling them is, I'm not suffering because I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm suffering because I'm doing this. Hmm. There's a linkage between my living for Jesus and the way the world around me is responding to it. Hmm. Um, So in this case, when he talks about ours are the abundant sufferings, notice he's very specific, the sufferings of Christ. There's a... There's a very specific thing. So here he's not talking about the flu Mm. over and over again. He's talking about specifically suffering for the name of Christ. Well, this is a little counterintuitive just because I tend to think that Jesus suffered so I don't have to, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. crazy in some ways. But how does that line of thinking fit in with this verse? Well, he suffered for us to restore us to the Father, and sometimes we suffer for him. And I feel really odd even saying that because we don't suffer much no. here in the mm-hmm. States, really, mm-hmm. as followers of Jesus. But I have friends in other parts of the world who have suffered greatly mm-hmm. for Jesus. And there's a sense in which Jesus suffered for us, not so that we wouldn't have to, but he suffered for us to bring us back to the Father. When we suffer for him, or when those who actually experience suffering for Christ's sake. It's more we are suffering because the world system that rejected him is rejecting our representation of him. Mm. Mm. Isn't it also there's a love factor here that he suffered out of love. Mm. And then when he, in effect, brings us into himself, that if we're living in him and reflecting and expressing his goodness, Mm -hmm. then our suffering is not just because we're getting beat up, but because we love others mm. enough to experience the consequences. We're of that vulnerable mm-hmm. yeah. in that yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Abundance of sufferings in Christ is not something that we think about here in the States that much until it's like Voice of the Martyrs Month or mm-hmm. something like that yeah. in church. And mm-hmm. then we're confronted with these horrible realities that followers of Christ experience all around the world. Mm. And I think for us, even though we don't experience the same type of suffering that our brothers and sisters around the world do, it's still nice to know that with abundance of suffering, there is abundance of comfort Mm -hmm. to speak into that. In fact, one of the words that I noticed surrounding this verse is consolation. Mm -hmm. And in verse 3, the Father of mercies, the God of all consolation, who consoles us in all our affliction so that we may be able to console those who are in affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. And then it keeps going after the verse, talking about consolation as well. And often that's translated comfort, the God of all comfort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same with mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. We've been talking through these conversations about the God of abundance, and what are good things that we would like to have in abundance. During this past year, my family has had several grief experiences. And to experience the abundance of comfort in a season of loss 
is an indescribable hmm. reality. Hmm. Somebody who doesn't know the Lord, you can't help them to understand how it works. It just does, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And 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 when it comes in abundance, mm-hmm. it becomes a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. Well, sorrow is so penetrating. You know, mm-hmm. it's just devastating. It's, you know, whether it's death or a loss or broken health or whatever, it's so devastating. And, you know, then you have the PTSD effect often that comes, especially mm-hmm. from a series from a battalion of sorrows, as mm-hmm. Shakespeare put it. And to just lift your head, we feel that so deeply. Mm-hmm. So to think that there is a provision of that kind of comfort that can match it, it's mm-hmm. kind of beyond what we yeah. can expect. And it's also beyond what in the moment of grief initially mm-hmm. we can't believe is even possible. Right, mm-hmm. we can't. Yeah. There's no answer for this pain, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's also hard to even describe the comfort and consolation that shows up with God, oftentimes through others that represent God mm-hmm. ahead of time. Mm-hmm. It's typically when we're in that sorrow and going through it and we begin to experience that grace that it begins to shape us and change us and looking even Mm -hmm. back on experiences where people have been those representatives of God's consolation and his comfort in those seasons. That's where I really, I guess, feel the weight of the abundance Mm -hmm. of grace, like talking about a future suffering, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. That may or may, you know, not come or whatever, this feels abstract, but it's when we look back on those examples that, that people have been that to us as representatives of God. Like, th- think about just who's shown up at your parents' funeral when my mother died. And the funeral was in Fort Worth, Texas, and a couple of friends from Denver flew down. I, I had no mm-hmm. expectation of that. Mm-hmm. And I was just blown away mm-hmm. with comfort when they appeared. And so consequently, when others have died, I've tried to make that gesture. Mm -hmm. And that's that whole Mm -hmm. process, you know, sharing Mm -hmm. the suffering, sharing the comfort. You know, you don't understand Mm -hmm. until you go through it and receive it. In this case here, Bill, you made the point that it's not just any suffering. Mm -hmm. Paul is actually Mm -hmm. just saying, he's talking about what he suffers for Christ, is what the NLT says. But some of the things we're talking about it must be that the sufferings and the comfort go far beyond what we would say are just suffering for Christ, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think so. And I think sometimes it's not so much sufferings for Christ as it is sufferings in Christ. As What do you mean by that? What I mean is suffering for Christ is when we suffer because we identify with him or we serve him or we're known Mm -hmm. as his children or whatever. But suffering in Christ means suffering as a person who is a follower of Jesus, regardless of where the suffering might come from. And I think that the comfort can apply to all, even though the specific context Paul had, as he talks about later in Mm Second Corinthians, where he describes literally his sufferings for Christ, which is staggering. Bruce yeah, the religious community him, was yeah. all over him, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even more than the political one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you think of all the things that he suffered for the name of Jesus in his generation, and to think even that Paul saw the comfort of God as more than sufficient yeah. to overwhelm that. Um, but can we assume that even if it's, say, it's a job issue or it's, it's something else that we really are suffering over, 
Yeah. You're saying that out of our relationship with him, that to suffer in Christ means that we can even draw upon his grace, even if it's not suffering for him. Yeah, I think we have to. I think that's our resource. I think we have to draw from him in those seasons. And I think that's where the first part of this passage, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Okay. Now mm-hmm. Paul's talking very personally about his experience, but I think when he's talking generally, he's including all of us. No matter what we're suffering, the God of all comfort is available to us. Yeah, and I think Jesus represented that when he wept with Mary and Martha and that community at the death of Lazarus. Mm-hmm. It, Lazarus didn't die out of persecution, mm-hmm. right? He didn't die because he was following Jesus, like John the Baptist even, right? right. He died because he died. Yeah, And, and that's yet, what Jesus grieves, yeah. is the evil of death that yep. we have to so, experience. So the comfort is there for our for the experiences of our humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say too, you know, in a very individualistic culture, we think of suffering for ourselves Mm -hmm. or people we care about. But in this culture that we're reading about in the Corinthians and throughout the world, the idea of if any part of the church is suffering, Mm. we are invited to feel that suffering. And it won't be in a tangible way, right? We don't feel the the knives or the guns or whatever necessarily, but those are our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And so the church as a whole should feel suffering in that communal sense as well. When our brothers and sisters of color mm-hmm. are suffering, when our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering, we should feel that too. Yeah. And that's the issue of whether or not we have anything by way of comfort, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To extend to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Paul was getting at in Romans 12 when he reminded us to weep with those who weep mm-hmm. and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Mm-hmm. As we see life attacking people around us to kind of unite our hearts with theirs, to provide the kind of comfort, Elisa, you were talking mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. that we can give to one another as agents of the God of all mm-hmm. comfort. Mm-hmm. Timely reminder that although God's people do face challenging times, we don't do it alone. The abundant God, the God of all comfort, cares for his people, and he uses us to comfort others and others to comfort us. Because sometimes what we're facing in life seems so much bigger than we are. And so we're going to close this series of conversations by talking about how God is a God of abundant hope. And don't you think in our world today that we could use an infusion of that abundant hope? Well, stay with us. We'll wrap up this episode after this word about what we'll be studying together in our next podcast. Next time on the Discover the Word podcast, Daniel Ryan Day begins a two-part podcast with the group that explores the often strange, disturbing, unsettling Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Daniel, I'm so glad we're talking about Ecclesiastes because it seems so unlike all of the other <laughs> wisdom literature. I mean, and if somebody expects yeah. to go to Ecclesiastes and find a whole bunch of just good insights and a lot of good truths, it's uh-huh. kind of like, hey, wait a minute, this is one piece of wisdom literature. It, it should have a warning label or something yeah, on true. it, you know? Yeah, I think that's actually in some ways why it's one of my favorite <laughs> because it's so unexpected. Think about the role of Proverbs specifically in wisdom literature in the Old Testament. 
It's the positive role. The glass is half full in Proverbs for the most part. And so if Proverbs is like, hey, the glass is half full, Ecclesiastes is like, is it? I'm pretty sure it's half empty, right? Like that's kind of Ecclesiastes' role. It's going to poke holes in a lot of things that we need holes poked in. And as a result of that, it's going to set us up to maybe hear the truth of what God offers and how we can find true meaning and purpose in Him. Study Ecclesiastes with the group on the next Discover the Word podcast. And uh, let's listen as Bill takes us to a couple of passages in the New Testament that talk about the abundant hope that our faith in God provides. Well, in these conversations, we've been talking about how God described himself as abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness in Exodus 34, and then how that plays out in the New Testament in some ways that abundance is expressed otherwise. What have we seen so far? Well, it's surprising in a lot of ways, but God's character is abundant, especially in loving kindness and in truth or faithfulness. Mm -hmm. And that stands as like the core or the the signpost Mm -hmm. of his character as Mm -hmm. he describes himself in Exodus 34, right? And then you see it played out in the New Testament. And I love that consistency. And it surprised me that that word is used so often. It seems to always connect too with the recipients of the, the abundance of God are abundant in some way. Mm-hmm. It cascades. Yeah, mm-hmm. it cascades through. Yeah, so we saw abundant it. grace. We saw abundant life. Jesus said, mm-hmm. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Mm-hmm. And then in our last conversation, we saw abundant comfort. That really came after abundant suffering. Exactly. Yeah. We can't yeah. really separate those uh-huh. two. We're going to have one final look at this abundant God today. And of all the ones we've looked at, aside from the Exodus 34, I think this is my favorite, if I'm allowed <laughs> to have a favorite. <laughs> Romans 15, verse 13. Mark, do you have that? Yeah, in verse 13, Paul writes, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow, in my translation, is the word abound. Hmm. And again, overflow is a really good word picture word to Mm -hmm. describe what abundance feels like. It's that Mm -hmm. overflowing, Mm -hmm. more than enough kind of thing. My cup overflows. But here he says that we would overflow with hope. And I can't think of too many things that we could use better (laughs) right now. (laughs) Yeah, I could take a sip of that. Yeah, I'd love some hope. When he says overflow or abound with hope, what is the hope that he's talking about? At the beginning of this verse, he says, may the God of hope, so God being a source of hope, fill you with joy and peace and believing. And that believing is going to, I'm guessing, refer to the message about Jesus. And so that hope would be first rooted in who God is, his person, but then also how God's work through Mm -hmm. Christ means something for us. Mm -hmm. And so that hope being sourced in God and in the work of Christ, maybe. Yeah. I was just letting my eyes go back Mm -hmm. into the chapter there. And there's also an element of the future, isn't it? Yeah. Explore that for a second. We're talking about praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, verse 11. Praise him, all you people of the earth. 
In another place, Isaiah said, the heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles. They will place their hope on him. Hmm. So there's kind of a, this messianic looking, yeah. anticipation. Mm-hmm. Well, and hope has that component, doesn't it? I mean, there's a sense in which, you know, people talk about, you know, pie in the sky religion and it's all about the next life and so you're kind of an escapist you're not really living in the real world but while hope has a future component it also has a present component that is connected to the future component Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one of the things that carries us through the difficult seasons of life is the fact that this is not the way life is always going to be for all eternity Mm. There is a better day coming. We talk about that often around the table is that's a now and a not yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're going to have a true fulfillment of hope, but mm-hmm. still now we get mm-hmm. to have a taste of it. What is hope? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting mm-hmm. here thinking about all the different ways we mm-hmm. use hope. Mm-hmm. I hope my team wins the Super Bowl, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or I hope this happens or whatever. What is hope from a biblical sense? The biblical presentation of hope is confidence in God. (laughs) It's not good thoughts or wishes Mm -hmm. or dreams or things like that, but that's very not biblical hope. Biblical hope is very concrete, and it's very strong, and it's rooted in the resurrection. 1 Peter 1, Peter says that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we have a living hope a living hope, a living confidence as we live life now and as we face what happens one second after we die. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have hope, confidence in God because of what he's done for us Mm -hmm. in Jesus through the resurrection. And is that confidence, I guess, also rooted in the character of God? So this is a good God. So that confidence is also rooted in the fact that because he's good and pursues what's best Mm -hmm. for his glory, the good of the world, our good, that that's where some of that confidence is rooted as well? I think it has to be. Uh, I I don't think he could be the God of hope if he was the God of nasty, mean-spiritedness. You know, Mm -hmm. I think his hope is an extension of his love, and his love is the expression of his heart, his true being. So I don't think you can parse that stuff apart. Mm -hmm. I think it's all connected. And that's what makes that text we started the week with in Exodus 34 so important. Because there God says, this is what I want you to know about me. Yeah. Merciful, compassionate, loving kindness, slow to anger. All those things that God wants us to know about him are the things that our hope comes from. Hmm. And maybe there's an invitation in that too as we're either reading the biblical story or just in our lives experiencing some of the brokenness that we see mm-hmm. and feel don't lose sight of also this abundant love, this abundant Mm -hmm. grace, this Mm -hmm. abundant hope, because in the world that you live in, it's going to be very easy to lose sight of hope. Totally. Yeah. We can throw all these words around and they all get very similar and therefore confusing because when I've studied joy as the fruit of the spirit, I came to the place where I understood it meant confidence in God. Mm -hmm. Joy is confidence in God. Hope is confidence in God. You know, hope is an anchor for our soul. You know, faith is a gift of God. You know, anyway, you you just, all these words can get kind of confusing, but bottom line, they are now and not yet words that we can hold on to and and hold on to now and hold on to as we go forward. But God's the one who helps us hold on, you know, Mm -hmm. bottom line. And there's plenty of all of them. 
to help us hang in. And throughout the scriptures, we have plenty of examples of people who experience this. And that's why earlier in Romans 15, one of my favorite verses uh, is verse 4. It says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written Mm -hmm. for our instruction. Stuff like Exodus 34, verses Mm -hmm. 6 and 7. Written for our instruction. Why? So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Mm -hmm. That's good. Our hope is not just floating around disconnected. It is rooted in what God has told us about himself, not only in Exodus 34, but throughout the scriptures that he's given Mm -hmm. to us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And rooted in what he's done. Yeah. You know, it's an invitation to look back and see where he has met us in the past. And if not us, then others where he's met them in the past. Mm -hmm. And we see that here with the it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We abound in hope, not because we convince ourselves mm-hmm. or yeah. try to conjure up within us some kind of hope that doesn't exist. It's a gift. Yeah. And that's really important because now abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. But faith, hope, and love, all three require the work of the Spirit in our lives yeah. mm-hmm. to be accomplished. Our ability to trust God, our ability to live out his love, and our ability to have confidence in him is all given to us Mm -hmm. by the Spirit Mm -hmm. of God himself. So when it says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's not just a tagline or a throwaway statement. That is the crux of the matter, because hope comes from the God of hope through the Spirit Mm -hmm. as he works in our lives. And the thing that I love about that hope is that as we all kind of assented to earlier we live in a day where hope is greatly needed. I know I greatly need it mm-hmm. as I look at the world around me. And to be able to have confidence in an Exodus 34 type of God wow. in the midst of this kind of world really can dramatically change how you live in that world, mm-hmm. how you approach life in that kind of world. Do you have to be looking through a window, though, that, that is greater than this world of time? Yeah. In space. When you talk about putting your hope in God, it's the eternal God. Mm -hmm. And we may taste all kinds of expressions of hope now, Mm -hmm. but the greatest of all hope is probably going to be, it's going to go beyond this world, Mm -hmm. right? Beyond this time. Yeah. And that's why it's not only now, it's also not yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The not yet part is the part that we can't even begin to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And the other aspect too, Mart, of what you're describing too is we often need a perspective outside of ourself to see that hope at times. Mm-hmm. We need to realize that God is bigger to find hope because typically when we're in the midst of things that are hopeless, it's that we've found that they're bigger than we are. <laughs> and so in those situations, we need something that's bigger than we are. Yeah. And that's the God of hope. Abundant hope. Abundant mm-hmm. hope. Mm-hmm. And I think in these conversations this week, I've been so encouraged by that very idea of just how much bigger God is than I usually think. Mm -hmm. I grew up going to church, going to Sunday school, watching Bible stories presented on flannel graph. And you can take the image of God (laughs) and fold it up and put it in your pocket. (laughs) And that's kind of the J.B. Phillips, your God is too small Mm -hmm. kind of problem. God's not small. Our view of him mm-hmm. is too small. And I think when we start to think about his abundance, it opens up for us his bigness mm-hmm. and his greatness and just how much more he is than we even can imagine. And I think that's really helpful. Mm-hmm.
when, like you say, Daniel, we're facing situations that are so much bigger than we are. He is the abundant God who supplies your needs and restores your hope. You're listening to Discover the Word with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And we have reached the conclusion of our series called The Abundant God. I hope these discussions have opened up your view of God and helped you to draw closer to Jesus, our living hope. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures and challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And thanks for remembering that it's the voluntary giving of friends like you that makes this ministry possible. Our digital and print resources reach people in over 150 different countries. And when you give, you're helping us to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to people all around the world. You can partner with us in this important mission by giving online at discovertheword.org. Click the Donate tab for options and help in giving right there. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.